The dinner table is a holy place. It's a place for stories, laughter, friendship, and honest conversation. When Jesus was at the dinner table, he shared more than meals. He shared grace and wisdom, forgiveness and miracles. Dinner with Jesus not only fills us up, it changes us forever. Well, good morning, church. Thanks for joining us this morning at the Water's Edge. Thank you to those of you online. My name is Leandra. I'm one of the pastors here. And we have two very special guests here, all the way from Stavanger, Norway. So this is Derek and Michaela Shipley. They are going to be uh, a new missionaries that we are partnering with. So we've had a goal here at the Water's Edge to have a missionary that we partner with and work with on every continent. So uh, this will check off Europe, and we're getting halfway there. And this is really a different type of ministry. So our other missionaries are... We have Morgan in Nicaragua who uh, helps bring clean water to, to people. And then Karen is our missionary in Kenya, and she's a dentist. Um, but ministry in Norway is a little bit different. Uh, they don't really need clean water and those things. Really, what this place you live is one of the wealthiest places in the world. Um, so not a lot of need there, but we're super excited to partner with you. And I know that where you live now is where Pastor Craig's family is from. Uh, so you can tell how sick Pastor Craig is today, the fact that he's not here right now. Um, he was super excited to meet you guys. I know he's bummed, and you guys might be a little bummed, too, because I think instead of, like, the nice dinner with Craig, you got to go to the zoo with me and three kids, and uh, it's a little different than, like, a steak dinner, um, but we had fun. <laughs> it was very good. Okay, yeah, thanks. Um, so it was great getting to know you guys, and uh, we're just excited to have you here, but uh, I want you to talk to us a little bit about, so what, what does being a missionary in, in Norway uh, look like? Why Norway and uh, what's going on over there? Yeah, so just to start off uh, with what we're doing, so we've partnered with a free independent church in Stavanger, Norway. Uh, it's called Emi Church, and also our mission sending agency, Contact Mission USA. So uh, in partnership with them and the support that is given to Contact Mission, which is then given to Emi Church, uh, supports my role with the church being the international pastor. And then Michaela will share a little bit more what she's uh, doing. But uh, being in Norway, um, it's very a post-Christendom society. Uh, less than 3% are practicing evangelical Christians. Uh, out of five and a half million people that live uh, in Norway. Uh, in Stavanger spe specifically, uh, there's over 145,000 people, but also more than 180 nationalities. So the opportunity to take the gospel, to evangelize, uh, not only to Norwegians, but also to uh, the nations is immense but also that we believe God wants to use the nations in bringing revival about in Norway. So Norway is very uh, secular, uh, post-Christendom again, uh, atheistic, and it shares a common need for the gospel in relation to northern and western Europe. Uh, so our heart is to go and share the living gospel uh, in Norway uh, with our hearts focused there and being there the last four years. Yeah, that's awesome. Michaela, I know that Norway specifically has been uh, kind of a dream God's given you for a long time. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so that kind of started back when I was in fifth grade. My grandparents went on an ancestry trip, and so mm. when they came home and showed the pictures, I uh, fell in love. It was like God planted a seed in me then. Mm -hmm. And then we had an exchange student my eighth grade year, and so she was from Norway, got to hear more about her and her culture. I went back to go or went to go visit her and her family, and while I was there, I was like, why aren't we going to church? And she was like, oh, church isn't like how it is in your home. She's like, if it was like that, maybe we would go, but it's it's there's no youth ministries. There's very few children's ministries. There, some, some churches are only open during Easter and Christmas. Some are only open during the school year. Some are only open every other week. And so that broke my heart. But as a 13-year-old at that point, I didn't know mm -hmm. what I could do. And so um, God has been 
continuing to pull on my heartstrings for the country and uh, has guided us both to Norway. Yeah, so this is really a, a different, unique type of, of ministry work. You're not, you know, bringing something tangible, but you're bringing the gospel. Um, and I know you guys have been there four years already. I think we have a picture of kind of what your house churches look like. Uh, we do house churches here as well, but uh, how have you already seen God, you know, working through these and, and through your work over there? Yeah, so uh, at Amy Church, uh, we're now a church of 51 nationalities represented in our congregation, and that has just um, um, grown immensely over the last several years we've been there, uh, particularly through these Amy International House Churches that we do. So we have uh, three of them that uh, we oversee, uh, disciple, and bring new people in. Uh, so uh, we, know we have Norwegians and you know, many different nationalities represented among them, but we also have those who are atheistic, uh, Muslims, agnostics that come. Uh, mm -hmm. to these house church gatherings as well. And it's a, a safe place to share as we go over the gospel. We've been going through Acts and we've went through John. Um, and then we also have those who have been uh, running from God, uh, if you will. We had a young man uh, from Singapore who came some years ago. Um, and long story short, uh, he was hurt uh, immensely by the youth pastor there and basically pushed him out of the church when he was all his heart was just to serve um, and help the youth. Uh, so he found himself taking a job in Norway um, and then happened to be coming by Amy Church, and we were able to meet with him um, and welcome him in uh, to family, into community, around the table, uh, right, in fellowship, where a lot of life and ministry happens. And he says, now I know what it actually means to be a part of a Christian community that loves, encourages, and builds you up. And so I seeing his faith blossom. Uh, so there's this, um, and over December, January, I was taking some time in prayer. We had these quiet days uh, over the, the new year. And I felt God speak to me and said, you know, the church isn't always beautiful, uh, but to be thankful, Jesus always is. And so that's mm -hmm. who we set our hearts on, uh, being a multi-ethnic church of so many different nations. So it's just been a blessing to see uh, how God has moved uh, through the uh, house churches and just bringing more and more people uh, to fellowship with us. Yeah, this picture is really cool. You can see just all the different cultures, even just different ages uh, in this room, learning and growing together. And I'm guessing in Norway, you can't just, you know, go up to people and start talking about religion. That would probably be frowned upon, uh, wouldn't get you very far. So you guys actually have a really cool vision on, on how to do this and how to build relationships. And uh, Michaela, I know you're not just a missionary, you're an artist. So tell us a little bit about kind of your, your vision for this ministry moving forward. Yeah, so we're, we're starting a ceramic studio and using that as a way to witness to people that wouldn't come into a church. And so this is something that um, God's given me a passion for, but also not just gifting for the actual art, but the, the community. And so, um, yeah, we're excited to see what God's going to do with this. This is his studio, not my studio, not our studio. And so um, we're right now we're support raising, looking to see buy a property for our home, for house churches, but also for um, the studio, if there be a barn or a garage or something that we can renovate to the studio. And so, um, yeah, we're looking looking forward to the, the growth and the the community and the fellowship that that brings. Yeah, that'll be a, a really cool way. So uh, our goal today, they're, they're trying to raise some money to get a down payment on, again, this will be the house where they live and, and do ministry out of, and then also hopefully a space for this ceramic studio where people can come in and build relationships, but then also hear about the gospel and get to know Derek and Michaela better. So uh, the down payment total is $50,000. Our goal uh, here at the Water's Edge is to hopefully get 25% of that, so that would be $12,500. And I think if we can hit that goal, it'll get you guys about halfway there with the other. I know you guys have been working hard uh, raising funding as well in Indiana, where you all are from, and um, we hope that we can be a part of that and make this uh, happen. And in a year from now, um, if you could come back and you hit that goal, what, what are your dreams of where you could be a year from now? 
Yeah, I think it's just, I mean, one, uh, you know, on my part, with what Michaela's really doing in ceramic studio, just seeing her pray for the woman that come in and open up and just start crying. But mm -hmm. just to see uh, this uh, community, these classes where we can have 20, 30 people come in and do these classes. Right now, we can't do that in our two-bedroom apartment. We're outgrowing our <laughs> space. Um, but uh, the vision of just seeing uh, more people coming in and having these classes and just being able to build uh, relationships with them. Um, and then seeing more nations, you know, uh, my heart as an international pastor, but for Emmy Church and being in the region church for all nation, nations is seeing all the nations represented in Emmy Church that we have in the Stavanger area, you know, over 180. Um, I think God really wants to break this open and just uh, the goal that he puts in internationals that live in relationship uh, with him, but also uh, those uh, we haven't met yet. Uh, mm -hmm. that he's already knows who we're going to be meeting uh, a year from now um, and help further uh, strengthen and build the churches and having more international house churches uh, that meet and bridge build into the community between Norwegians and internationals. So I think that would be our heart for the, the next year in ministry in Stavanger. Yeah, so this is, this is a tough gig that you guys have uh, mm -hmm. taken on going to a country that I think already has made up their mind about the gospel in a lot of ways um, and, and trying to show them a, a different way and a different example and um, I think it's really cool. So this will be totally new for us as a church, um, a different type of, of mission offering and, and project than we've ever taken on. There's nothing physical to buy. Um, there's not an immediate physical need that we're trying to solve, but there is a huge need for the gospel and for Jesus in Norway. And uh, Derek and Michaela have, have a great vision and are doing great work over there, and we're excited to partner with them. So uh, you can scan this QR code that will go to our online giving page. You can give in the offering uh, boxes while just write Norway in the memo. But uh, we really hope that we can, can help make this uh, home and, and ceramic studio happen. And we're excited to continue working with you guys and just see where, where you go. And I think this ministry is really going to grow in, in more stories of, of lives that are changed and impacted with you. So thanks for making the trip all the way here. They're going to be out. They have a table out there if you want to ask any questions, hear more of their story after this. They'd love to talk with you. Um, they have some pamphlets out there as well, a little bit more about their ministry. And uh, really, your website is awesome. Um, so ShipleyNorway.com if you want to go and, and read about what they're doing and uh, how does ministry work in a place like Stavanger, Norway. Um, it's really, really interesting uh, type of ministry, so we're super excited. Is there any way that uh, we as a church can be praying for you too? Yeah, I think one element is, I mean, it's for God's provision uh, to come through in supporting of the ceramic studio and uh, the house ministry project. You know, our heart is to have uh, many nations in our home. We've had over 30 na nationalities in our apartment already. Uh, we've received uh, potential missionaries who are looking to go do missions throughout Europe. And so kind of share our experience of doing mission work uh, in a place like Norway where there's a lot of opposition to the gospel. Mm -hmm. uh, so just for God's provision to reveal and just open itself to purchase a property. And then also the language, of course. Uh, we've been learning Norwegian for some years now. Um, I'm beginning to like intermediate level into Norwegian, <laughs> but it's a bit difficult, you know. So, you know, speaking really good English is a challenge in of itself. So just prayers for us <laughs> in learning Norwegian would be very much appreciated. Yeah. Michaela, what about you? second that and just the I, I'm excited to see what God's going to do with the studio but mm -hmm. yeah uh, open those uh, for him to open the doors for the people to come in and mm -hmm. community yeah. yeah definitely hope the right people cross your path mm -hmm. so uh, church if you guys would extend a, a hand online if you would extend a hand as well and uh, we'll pray for Michaela and Derek today God I'm so grateful that uh, these two have crossed our paths that we get to partner with them and uh, be a part of the work that they're doing on the other side of the world um, I thank you for their heart, for the people of Norway, for their vision, uh, their creative and unique ways of trying to reach people. And God, I just ask that you 
uh, bring the right people across their path, bring the uh, right property and opportunity for them to continue to grow their ministry. God, I pray that when this ceramic studio opens, that uh, people come in and they get to experience your love, that they get to build relationships, that they get to experience forgiveness, um, that, that they can grow like you and they, they go out to serve and love the world. Um, I just thank you for, for Derek and Michaela and their work. I ask that you uh, help them pick up the Norwegian language. I imagine that can't be easy. Um, I just pray that you continue to give them the tools that they need to reach the people there in, in the unique ways that, that they are doing. We thank you for all the work that they've done, and God, I just ask that you continue to bless their ministry moving forward. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, guys. So again, they'll be out there hanging out um, after the service. Feel free to, to stop and chat with them. They've got uh, way more cool stories than just that and uh, lots of cool resources on what they're doing there. So today we're starting uh, our first week of our new series. We're super excited about this one. It's called Dinner with Jesus. Um, and this is really the start of the Lent season. Um, so I know I've already been hearing about all the fish fries. Everyone is very aware that Lent has started um, and Lent is not giving up pop and chocolate and eating fish on Fridays. Um, I, growing up, I thought that's what Lent was as well, but it turns out there's more to it than that. And uh, what Lent really is, it's really this time of like spiritual renewal, of, of being intentional, of, of taking up a discipline or, or cutting something out. And the goal, the purpose of Lent is to reconnect with Jesus, um, to restore that relationship, to, to grow closer to him, there's something that's been getting in the way of that relationship to, to either remove that barrier or to overcome it, to, to just grow closer. I mean, our relationship with Jesus, it's, it's just like any other relationship we have. Um, if you've ever had a friend where you, you didn't see them for a while, they moved away and you haven't talked in a while and you've kind of grown distant from them and then you like see a post on social media or you bump into them somewhere and it's like, oh my gosh, I haven't seen you in forever. Like, how are you doing? We need to catch up. Um, that happens in our relationship with Jesus sometimes too. We've been running around, and when we finally stop, like, my gosh, Jesus, how have you been? Like, I have not talked to you in so long. Um, you know, I think for some of us, the relationship it's, is maybe more like a relationship with a spouse, and you've been married for a long time, and you see them all the time, you talk to them all the time, but maybe the relationship has just kind of grown stale, or, you know, there's not as much passion, it's not as exciting as it was at the beginning, and you know, our relationship with Jesus can get like that sometimes, you know, okay, I've been a Christian for, you know, 20, 30 years, but I'm not as excited about it anymore. It doesn't make me feel the, the way it used to. I'm, I'm not feeling as connected to God as, you know, I did maybe in those beginning years, you know, that can happen too. So either side of that coin, Lent is this time where, where we stop and we reflect on our relationship and we think about what are the ways that I need to reconnect with Jesus? Um, where have we grown distant? Where have we grown apart? You know, where have we gotten on different pages and how can I reconnect? How can I spend these 40 days getting things back on track so that when we get to Easter Sunday, um, we can say, you know, our, our relationship with Jesus is in a, a better place than it's ever been, that, that we're feeling really connected and engaged and uh, in love with Jesus. And that's what this season of, of Lent is all about. And, you know, if you are at that person, you, you bump into that person that you haven't seen in a long time at a coffee shop or somewhere, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I haven't seen you in forever. What's like the best way that you could reconnect with that friend or even reconnect with your spouse? You go to dinner with them. You say, we should get dinner. We should get lunch. We should catch up. Um, we should share a meal together. We should just take some time to actually talk to each other. 
Um, and that's the idea behind this series. That's what we're going to do with Jesus. We are going to sit, we're going to listen, we're going to pay attention, we're going to learn from him, we're going to have dinner with him. Uh, over the next six weeks, we're going to look at six times in the Bible that Jesus had dinner with other people. Um, and all six of these stories, these are only six examples. He had dinner a lot. Um, but what happened at those meals? What did Jesus say? What did people learn? And the one thing you'll notice every single week is that every time someone has uh, dinner with Jesus, they walk away completely changed. You don't just go to dinner and on the drive home be like, that was nice. Um, their lives are, are always totally different after they have dinner with Jesus. And that's what I hope Lent looks like for all of us. Um, that we come here six weeks, we, we take these 40 days to be intentional, and we can look back and, and after going through this Dinner with Jesus series say, everything has totally changed. Um, I am totally changed. My relationship with Jesus has totally changed, that, that things are totally brand new um, because we took this time to be intentional and to share a meal and, and to talk. So the first dinner we're going to look at is actually the first time in the Gospels we see Jesus at a dinner. It's super early in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, and if you're one of those people who likes to follow along, this whole story is printed in your bulletin. If you want to do that, you can follow where we're going. But the first dinner is actually a wedding reception. Um, so Jesus is at a wedding reception in the village of Cana in Galilee. He's not far from his hometown, and so he's at this wedding with everyone that he grew up with, um, a little bit of a high school reunion. He's brought some of his disciples. His mom is there, uh, and they're at this big party. Now, I, I have a lot of uh, friends and, and relatives right now that are engaged in planning weddings. Have you ever talked to any of these couples recently? They are not doing well. Um, it is very stressful planning a wedding these days. It's a big deal. It's expensive. There's, you know, a bunch of different people want different things from you, and you've got to please them all. And you know, I was talking to one couple who was planning their wedding, and I was like, we, we have all these marriage therapists. We need, like, not married yet but planning a wedding therapists for these people um, to help get them through, make sure they make it to the actual wedding. But in Jesus' time, I think it was actually even more stressful to plan a wedding. So in, in Jesus' culture in the Middle East, after you got married, you would not take off on the honeymoon with your spouse for a week. So you would have the big ceremony in town, and then after that, the expectation was that you would host everyone that was invited to the wedding, your whole family, um, everyone in town, all your friends, you would host them in your house for seven days. You were responsible for feeding them, giving them a place to sleep, entertainment. They would all get to stay with you for a week. That was your honeymoon. This is the opposite of a honeymoon. Um, so that's what's happening. Jesus is at this wedding, and you know, it's not, he's not at the ceremony. He's at this like week-long party that happens at the couple's house afterwards. And they're on like day three of this seven-day ceremony. And for the young couple, so hospitality back then as well was a huge deal. Um, there were rules, there were expectations, there were guidelines. You know, this is how you host. And you have to do these things. And if you don't, you know, it wasn't just embarrassing. It wasn't just looked down upon. It was like really a disgrace to you, to your family. It, it would be this like mark of shame that you couldn't provide for, for people that you weren't like a gracious host. So there were certain things that, that you had to do. And if you didn't do them, it, it wasn't just embarrassing. It wasn't like, oh, my gosh, my, you know, it rained on my wedding day. It was way worse than that. Um, this would affect you really for maybe the rest of your life if, if you did not offer good hospitality, if you did not meet all these expectations. So let's say you, you were hosting this party and something went wrong or, or you were deemed, you know, 
not a, a fit host. You, you didn't hit the expectations that people had for these parties. So you would maybe not be invited to future events in the community because people would say, well, if they couldn't host us, if they couldn't provide for us, then they don't get to come to the parties anymore. They don't get to you know, eat with everyone else because they didn't provide us with, with a meal in the right way. Um, so you'd be excluded socially. And if, like for this couple, it wouldn't it just embarrass them and be a shame for them. It would also reflect back on their parents and their family and their siblings. So the shame would, it would be a problem for your whole family. Um, and then on top of that, a lot of times, if you weren't a good host, if, if you did something that was deemed, you know, not respectful, then some people would not work with you or, or you know, support you financially. So if you sold something in town or you owned a shop or had some sort of other business and you weren't a good host at this party, people would not work with you anymore. They would not come to your shop. They, they would not sell things to you. They would not buy things from you. Because if you can't be a good host, how can we trust you in business? You know, if you can't provide for us at the dinner, then you know, we don't want to do business with you. Not only are you an outcast, but you know, we don't know if we can, we can trust you enough to work with you. So hosting this was a huge deal. You think weddings now are stressful. Seven days of making sure you do a good job and, and are a gracious host. And if not, you, you would suffer for years, you know, socially, emotionally, and it would affect you financially. It would be hard for you to, to continue to live in this town. And with all that going on, you can imagine how this young couple, this wedding that Jesus is at, how they felt when they found out that their party had run out of wine. And this is only, you know, day three or four of a seven-day feast, and wine was one of those important things. You had to provide enough wine. Um, it, was, it was symbolic there. It, w it wasn't just about partying or getting drunk, but it was one of those good host duties. Um, provide wine for your guests. And it says at the beginning of this story, the, the wine supply ran out. Um, they, they got the bad news that there was no more wine. You just imagine this couple, um, someone coming and, and whispering to them, like, hey, we're out of wine. Like, it's completely gone. And just how devastated they would have been. Because that does not mean, oh, no, we're out of wine. Like, this is so embarrassing. This means our lives are, are ruined. Um, you know, this was supposed to be our wedding, our, our first impression on the community. We're trying to put our best foot forward. We're announcing, you know, here we are as a new family, and this is who we're going to be, and we want to we welcome you, and, and we want to be a part of your community. And this would have just been absolutely devastating. Um, this would have been a huge setback for, for their life together. Um, you know, I picture the, the groom is, is probably really ashamed. He's made all these promises to this woman and to her family and to his family. He's probably feeling like I just let everyone down. I've, I've messed this up for her. I've messed this up for my parents and my family and her family. You know, we're never going to financially recover from this. You know, I picture the bride, like a lot of brides, was probably already pretty anxious at her wedding. And, you know, now it's going wrong. It's worst case scenario. Um, you know, the last thing that she would have wanted and was supposed to be this big celebration of, of them joining together and all their hopes and dreams and, you know, here's what we hope is what our family's going to be like and, and how we're going to engage in the community and all those hopes and dreams are swirling down the drain right now. Um, that life that they pictured is, is probably not going to happen now because this is going to be a huge embarrassment. Um, this is going to be a huge problem for them moving forward. And Jesus' mom comes up to him 
I, you know, she sees this happening. She hears that they're out of wine. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, so this is early in the gospel. Um, right now, he is just the carpenter's son. Nobody knows he's the son of God, Jesus. He's never done a miracle. Nobody knows what he's capable of. You know, really, there's like, okay, there's the carpenter's son. Um, no one is like, oh, good, Jesus is here. Let's go ask him for a miracle. Nobody knew. The only person at that wedding that knew Jesus could do something about it was Mary. And so she goes over to him and she says, Jesus, you know, this couple is out of wine. You know, this is going to be devastating for them. Just look at them sitting over there like they're just seeing their, their life, you know, get ruined right now. And you need to go do something about it. I know that you're capable of doing something about it. And so Jesus says, you know, dear woman, that's, I mean, I feel bad for them, but it's not my problem. Um, and a lot of times you read this, it kind of sounds like Jesus is being disrespectful to his mom, but that dear woman part, actually the term is like a, a term of respect um, that he used. This was a very respectful answer to his mom. Jesus is a good son. Um, he was not being rude to his mom. But the reason he says this is like, you know, I kind of have a plan for how this is going to work for me. Um, I have a plan for my big first miracle, for the way that I'm going to, you know, announce to the community and let people know who I am. And the hour for that plan has not come yet. And the plan was not to provide more wine at a wedding. You know, if he was going to do a big first miracle, he's like, I was thinking, you know, maybe raising someone from the dead or, or healing a blind person, you know, something really crazy. Not getting more wine for this party because they ran out. That was not how he wanted to introduce himself. Um, you know, this wedding was the couple's, you know, first impression, how, how they were presenting themselves. This is the same for Jesus. Nobody knew who he was yet, and he's saying, you know, I have a plan for how this is going to go, and this is not it. Um, and then I just picture Barry, like, giving him that look, you know, all moms give, and she's like, Jesus, do it. <laughs> and, uh, Jesus is a good son. I think he understood what was happening in that moment. Um, but not only that, I don't think that Jesus went and did this, turned water into wine and, and saved this wedding just because mom told him to. Um, I think there was more to it than that. I'm guessing when Mary came and brought this news that Jesus also looked across the party and he saw that bride and groom sitting there and just totally devastated, um, worried, embarrassed, you know, hopeless, and I'm guessing he said, you know what, this is not my plan. I kind of wanted to, to do something cooler. <laughs> um, I kind of wanted to do something different, but I'm going to help this couple out. So he changed his plan for them. This couple that we don't know, we never learn their names, we never hear about them again, we don't know anything about them, except that they might not have been very good planners. Um... But Jesus looks across that reception and he sees them and, you know, Mary's heart was broken. I think Jesus' heart broke too and he said, you know what, I'm going to change the plan. Scratch the plan, I'm going to change the plan. Um, you know, if this is, is my first miracle, this is it and, and I'm fine with that. You know, sometimes I, I hear a lot of people say in the church, and I'm sure you've heard this too, but like, now I know Jesus has got bigger problems to deal with than mine. I know someone's got it worse than me. I know, you know, this is stupid. This is small, you know. Have you ever heard anyone talk like that when they're telling you about something that is, like, really heartbreaking for them? And then they're like, I know someone has it worse. Ah, I'm not going to bother Jesus with this. I know this isn't a big deal. Um, it is a big deal. 
It was a big deal to Jesus. He didn't say, oh, they ran out of wine. Who cares? Um, It was a big deal to that couple, and it was a big deal to Jesus, so much so that he said, you know what, I'll change all the plans to help them out. Um, It does matter. And our stuff matters to him, too. Your problem is not too small for Jesus to care about. Uh, The thing that you're struggling with, the thing that you have going on, is not insignificant. Um, Jesus says, in fact, it's so significant, I'm willing to, to use a miracle on it to fix it for you. If there's something that matters to you, it matters to Jesus because you matter to Jesus. He didn't care about the wine or this party. He cared about the couple. And he saw what they were going through, and he said, you know what, I can do something about this, and I'm going to because I care about them. And when we get to this season of Lent, we're going to talk about, you know, what is it that we want to change? What is it that we want to work on? What is that commitment that we need to make to to restore our relationship with Jesus or, or renew our faith and um, maybe some of you are thinking, well, I kind of have something, but it's just this small thing. It doesn't matter. But it does matter. Um, Jesus will still care about that. It's, it's not too small. You know, we were asking people how we could pray for them on Ash Wednesday, and someone came through, and I was like, how can I pray for you today? And nobody ever wants to answer the question, and you have to, like, pry, be like, tell me a prayer request. <laughs> um, and she was like, well, I do kind of have something, but it's, it's stupid. And I was like, just tell me what it, you know, what it is. She's like, well, you know, we just had to put our dog down. And she got really emotional, and she kept saying, like, I know it's stupid. It's, like, not a big deal, and, you know, people have real stuff going on. And I was like, that is not stupid. You know, I can tell that that is important to you. That's hard. I had to put my dog down 10 years ago. I'm still upset about it. Um, if that's what's going on with you, that's what's going on with you. It is not you know, not worthy of a prayer request. It's not worthy of Jesus hearing about it. You know, that's, that's what's hurting you right now, and so that's what Jesus cares about. And what we see in this story is that Jesus loves this couple enough and loves us enough to, to care about our hurt. It doesn't matter how small it is. And then on the flip side, later, when he does provide the wine, we see that Jesus is also powerful enough that he can help with our hurt no matter how big it is. We had some people on the other side, some saying, oh, it's small, it doesn't matter. And then we have other people who's like, well, this is going on in my life, but, you know, it is what it is. It's never going to change. I've always been this way. It's always been this way. It's never going to get better. I've been working on it for years and praying about it for years, and, you know, we can pray for it, but it's probably not going to change. And this story reminds us of the opposite is true. Like, Jesus is powerful enough to change that. You know, maybe the bride and groom, you know, saw the the empty vats of wine and said, it is what it is. And Jesus is like, actually, it is not what it is. Um, This water is going to totally transform into wine. It is literally not what it is right now. Um, I am powerful enough to change that and we're going to fill out cards at the end of this, and I, I want us to think about these two things. Whatever it is that you want to change, whatever it is that is bothering you, whatever it is you're struggling with, it is not too small for Jesus to care about. Um, and it is not too big for, for Jesus to perform a miracle and, and to change it and transform it. So Jesus, he, he listens to his mom, and there's these big six stone jars that they would use for uh, ritual washing. So one of the hospitality things, you had to wash your hands and feet coming in and out of a gathering like this. So they had these big jars of water where people would do that. 
And uh, Jesus said, these will be perfect. Um, and he tells the servants, fill these up with water. And he tells them, take a wine glass and, and scoop it into one of these big vats of water and go take it to the master ceremony. So at these wedding parties, there would be a master ceremony. It's usually someone not related to the couple, but he would be in charge of kind of overseeing the party and really making sure that all the hospitality things were, were done and done the right way, um, making sure that everyone was provided for and that the hosts were doing a good job. So he tells the servants to do this, and then this is the important part at the very end. In verse 8, it says, and the servants followed his instructions. So the miracle does not happen unless they follow Jesus' instructions. And the same is true for us in Lent. You know, if we want to experience the miracle, we have to follow Jesus' instructions. Um, we experience more miracles when we do that. It's kind of like, has anyone been to physical therapy recently? I had to go for my knee. That would be like if I went in and went to the physical therapist and I was like, hey, it's been six weeks and my knee still hurts. In fact, it's getting worse. You are not doing a very good job. Um, I would like you to please fix this immediately. <laughs> um, and then what was the, what's the physical therapist going to say? He's going to say, well, have you been doing all those exercises that I gave you? And that's what I'd say, uh, no. I have been too busy, and I don't want to do them. So I haven't been doing them. You're the physical therapist. Just fix it. <laughs> that's not how it works. And it's not how it works in our relationship with, with Jesus either. So let's say you're praying for Jesus. You want something to change in your life. Let's say, um, like, Jesus, I want you to make me more patient. I've, I've been a really impatient person. You know, this Lent, over the next 40 days, I'm going to be intentional about trying to become more patient. And then I imagine Jesus would say, great, I would love for you to be more patient. Um, that would actually solve a lot of other people's problems and some of my problems. You've been really annoying. And uh, if you could figure that out, I would, you know, be able to mark off some other prayer requests as well. And he would say, here's what I want you to do so that you can grow in patience. Um, I want you each day to just sit quietly in stillness, clear your mind for just five minutes and just do nothing and remind yourself that it's going to be okay. And, and just sit in that stillness and, and feel what that's like. And then he would say, and over this week, I'm going to give you a few opportunities. Things are going to come your way, small ways for you to practice being patient. Those are the things I want you to do. And then let's say I don't do those things, and I come back like a week later or three days later because I'm impatient. So I come back three days later, and I'm like, hey, Jesus, I'm still impatient. It's not working. Like you said, you're going to perform a miracle and change me, and I feel just as impatient as ever. He would say, well, did you sit and, and practice being still and quiet? Nope, I did not do that. Um, you know, that opportunity I gave you to practice patience in the grocery store with that guy at the checkout, did, did you do that? Jesus, honestly, I don't think that guy knew how to do self-checkout. Um, no, I did not practice patience with him. And Jesus would say, well, if you're not going to follow my instructions, you're not going to get to the end of this miracle. Um, that's how a lot of these things work. We're, we're a part of it as well. And, you know, if the servants didn't follow the instructions, this story would have had a bad ending. Um, we have to follow the instructions. And so the servants do. They take the cup. They take it to the master of ceremonies. And he doesn't know what happened. He just doesn't know about Jesus. But he tastes the wine, and it's amazing, right? It's Jesus' wine. Um, this is not two-buck chuck. This is good stuff. And... Uh, so he calls the, the bridegroom over. He calls the groom over. I picture like across the, you know, he's to the groom. 
little come over here. And the groom does not know what happened. As far as the groom knows, his life is ruined. And there's no more wine. And here's the master of ceremonies, the guy keeping track of everything. And this means you're in big trouble. You're going to come over here and we're going to have a talk. And this party is over. And, you know, kiss your new marriage goodbye. So the bridegroom, like, goes over there super nervous. And instead of getting scolded, the master of ceremonies, this MC, starts joking with him. He's like, man, most people bring out the bad wine at the end. You are an amazing host. Uh, you have saved the best stuff until last. Great job. And the groom's sort of like, I did? <laughs> um, okay, that's amazing. He, he has no idea what happened. And, you know, even if he did, Jesus does not just go and find more wine for the party. He finds the absolute best wine. He does not just save their wedding reception. He makes this wedding reception the talk of the town. Everyone's talking about how great this party was, how great the young couple did. Instead of being these hospitality failures that would you know, be outcasts and black sheep in the community, they're like heroes now. Like, can you believe that party they threw? Wow, I'm going to invite them to my party. I'm going to do business with them. Um, you know, they're a really impressive couple. It totally changes everything. When we invite Jesus to be a part of the change that we're, that we're trying to experience, that we're going through, it will exceed all our expectations. Um, that's what Jesus does. And you know, as we head into Lent, there's, there's study guides out there. Um, they're really cool. They're, they look like menus. Don't get confused. It is a study guide. Um, we want you to walk through those. But there's also going to be these cards by the door as you head out today. And there's a short prayer on here. Um, for those of you online, you can come pick these up or we'll show the prayer here on screen. You can take a little screenshot or, or write this down. But this is going to be our prayer for the season of Lent for the next 40 days. Um, as you can see, there's blanks. So you, that's your job. You've got to fill in those blanks. Um, well, we're all going to have different prayers. But our prayer is, you know, God, you turned water into wine. And I believe you have the power to change me too. So transform me by changing whatever it is for you into whatever you hope it will be 40 days from now. Um, and take some time, pray on this, reflect on this. Think about how you want to fill this out. You don't have to do it immediately right when you get home. Um, but I want you to think about these two things. The, the thing that you think is too small and it's stupid and who cares? Jesus cares. Put that. On the other side, if you've got this thing and you're like, this is never going to get better, it is what it is, Jesus can change that. Put that. Um, you know, put... Put what you want to work on this Lent. There's, there's no wrong answer on this prayer card. And then what we're going to do is I want you to put this somewhere you're going to see it. Put it on your nightstand. Put it on your fridge. Put it on your desk. Um, wherever it is. Put it in the bathroom. Uh, I want you to pray this every single day of Lent. Whatever your prayer is, we're all going to be praying our individual prayer every day for 40 days. Inviting Jesus, hey, I want you to be a part of the change I'm trying to experience. This couple, if Jesus wasn't there, what would they have done? They probably would have gone out tried to find some wine, buy it quick, bring it back. Maybe they would have found some, maybe they wouldn't. It probably would be fine. Um, it probably wouldn't last them four days. There wouldn't be enough, but maybe it would buy them a little bit of time. That's what would happen if they tried to do it themselves. But getting Jesus involved is way better. Plenty of wine, the best wine. That's what we're hoping to do this Lent. If, if there's a change, don't go, go at it alone. Um, invite Jesus to be a part of you. Keep this prayer in front of you, and I hope on Easter Sunday you can get up and pray this, and you look a lot more like the second word than you do the first word. Um, so I, I was reflecting on this. This is how I filled it out for myself. 
Um, I put perfectionism into wholeness. So perfectionism, I, I really have this idea of like, I got to be a perfect pastor and perfect coworker and a perfect mom and a perfect wife and in perfect shape and it's really healthy and blah, 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 all these things. And it just wears me out. And I was like, really, a lot of that is pride of wanting to be perfect. Um, a lot of it is pride, this idea that I have to do it all because if it's not me, it's not going to get done. You're not that important, Leandra. <laughs> um, and when I first filled this out, the second word that I put was balance. Oh, I need to, like, find balance in my life. And, and I pictured those halftime acts with the spinning plates, and she's got them on her hands and on her head, and she's balancing them all. And I'm like, that honestly seems more stressful. Um, and then I was thinking about Jesus and the water and the wine story, and I was like, you know what? Balance is me trying to change myself by myself. I could probably make some steps toward balance. I could do some time management seminar or something, get a planner. Um, but I was like, that's not, that's not a God-sized prayer. Um, I want the, the second word to be something that you could not do alone. You can only do if Jesus is going to get involved. And so that's why I came up with this word wholeness. Um, I cannot get there alone. There is no strategy that's going to get me there. I'm going to need Jesus to, to help make this happen, to bring this into my life. So um, the first week of the study guides, if you do that with your house church or your family or a friend or even on your own, is going to walk you through kind of thinking about how you want to fill this out as well. So you can save this in, until you go through week one if you want to do that and fill it out. But next Sunday, I hope that all of us have, have put in words here that are meaningful to us, that, that we have a prayer that we want to take into Lent. And I do hope on Sunday morning um, all of us are at home and we're praying this and uh, we can start to see some of that change that Jesus has done in our lives. So let's go to God and let's pray. God, we come to you today at uh, the beginning of Lent and we're reminded of you know, the ways we've grown distant from you, the ways we've gotten distracted and busy and, and forgot about you. Um, you know, maybe we've let doubt creep into our lives. Maybe we've let anger creep into our lives. Um, you know, maybe we've been hurt and we haven't gotten over it yet, but God, uh, we want to commit today for these next 40 days to reconnecting with you, to renewing our relationship with you, to renewing our faith in you. Um, we ask that you, in turn, continue to change us, continue to work on us, continue to make us into the people that you want us to be. We, we have this prayer today inspired by uh, this story at the wedding. And God, I, I joined uh, in this prayer with, with every person listening today. I, I make this our prayer as a church. And God, you know what's on everyone's hearts. You know what they're struggling with. You know what they're thinking of. You know what they hope to change. Uh, God, we lift those all up to you. And we, we pray this prayer. You turned water into wine. I believe you have the power to change all of us too. Whatever it is that's on our hearts, God, we know that you are powerful enough to do it. I pray that you transform all of us in those ways and, and bring us closer to you. And now we join together as one church and pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So make sure you grab one of these in a study guide on your way out. Uh, for those of you online, make sure you come in and grab one when you have time. Uh, fill this out. This will be the beginning of our series. We hope to see you next week at the Water's Edge.